My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Do you know people who divide the world into groups? My dad used to divide the world into two groups. They were workers and idiots. And that, that was all. You either showed up and you did your job or you were an idiot. And at the dinner table, we often had talks about the idiots in dad's life. At the job, at the church, at the local community men's center. That's how he divided the world. Hopefully he would put me in the worker half. He's been gone for many years. I'll have to ask when I get back up. Dad, did I do a good job? Uh, I read a sign once that said there are people who make things happen, people who watch things happen, people who let things happen, and people who say, what happened? <laughs> right? You've heard the old one about there's people who get up and some people say, good morning, God. And some people get up and say, good God, it's morning. I I'm sorry to say that the church divides people. We have Roman Catholics, we have Missouri Synod Lutherans, we have Assembly of God, we have ABC, UMC, PCUSA, EPA. Here's a good one for you. We have the GARBC. You may have not heard of them. Actually, Wiki doesn't know this, but that's the church where she got saved. Haddon Heights Baptist is a member of the General Association of Regular Conservative Baptists. G-A-R-C-B. We call them the Garbage Baptists because there's so many letters in their name. You got the church of God, you got the church of God in Christ. We divide ourselves into groups. Jesus didn't care about any of those groups. When you get to heaven, remember this, there's going to be one question. Did you know Jesus? Second question, were you ABC or UMC? It's, it's not there. There's no question. Did you know Jesus? But Jesus divided the world into sheep and goats. In other words, he divided us into saved, that's us, the people who come out on 4th of July and bake like hot dogs on the grill to hear the word of God, and the people who slept in. We got the saved, we got the unsaved. So if we are the saved, and Jesus says to his disciples, like he says to us, go out and tell people the good news, why don't we tell people the good news? So then I had to stop and take off my pastor's hat, or collar, as it were, and put on my psychologist hat. Right? What keeps people from doing the things they know they're supposed to do? Well, we call that anxiety and fear. Anxiety, I teach my students, you've heard me say this before, is the fear of what if. And you've heard these people. They say, uh, well, I, I share the gospel, but what if I say something stupid? Or I'd share the gospel, but what if I say something wrong? Or what if I lose a friend or a family member? What if I get labeled a Jesus freak? Yeah, I stole that from DC Talk, but it's one of my favorites. What if I'm not prepared? What if I don't know all the answers or the right verses or the arguments? Well, I want you to know that when Jesus sent the disciples out, they had none of the above. There was no scripture yet recorded for them. There was no New Testament, no letters of Paul, no gospels. But you know what they knew? They knew Jesus. Now, if you are having what ifs, there is a psychological um, activity that you can participate in 
that is rather terrifying. Uh, I studied with David Burns, and I'm sure you all know who David Burns is, but if you don't, I'll, I'll remind you. David Burns is the student of Aaron Beck, the father of cognitive therapy. And for Lenny, because he and I will understand this, I did two postdocs with Albert Ellis, one right before he died. And these two guys said, it's not life that makes you crazy, it's what you think about life is, that makes you crazy. That, if you want to understand cognitive therapy, there it is. The Apostle Paul said, that which is good, that which is pure, think on these things. Same idea. I believe that Philippians and cognitive therapy go together like this. So what does this mean for us? Albert Ellis would have his students do what he called shame attacking exercises because we're all afraid of them. Do you remember this when you were in junior high? Well, I can't wear that. What will they say? What, 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 what will they think? They won't let me fill in the blank. And Albert Ellis said, you know what? They should have no power over you. So he would have his students do shame attacking exercises. You may not know this. He, he taught in New York. He also taught in Philadelphia. He would have people get on the high speed line at Lindenwald and call out the stops. Now, if you've been on the new train, they have that new Disney voice, Ferry Avenue, Lady of Lords Hospital, right? But in the old days, it sounded like this. Right? And he would tell his students that they had to ride the train and call the stops. They had to stand up and go, Ashland, Ashland Station. People were terrified. Then the next one, of course, is... Oh, shoot. Woodcrest. Woodcrest. Haddonfield, Westmont, right? <laughs> there you go. And by the time they got to Collingswood, if they did it, they were like, this is wonderful. And people around them would go, what are you doing? Oh, I study with Albert Ellis, and he said I need to do this, so I wouldn't be afraid of what people would think. And by the time they got to the end, they were calling out the stops in a clear, loud voice, and people were cheering for them. Because they need to hear our voices, even if it's just to know the stops on the speed line. Better yet, they need to hear our voices to know that Jesus loves them, that Jesus died for them, that Jesus rose again for them. The true story, I'm doing a postdoc. Yes, there are crazy people like me who, after they get their Ph.D., decide that they need more schooling. Poor Vicky, she lives with me. So I'm working on a, another degree just because I needed to learn more stuff. But anyway, I'm with David Burns. We did an entire two-week seminar. It was wonderful on self-esteem and cognitive therapy. And he took us out to dinner at the local Indian restaurant right there on 38th and Market. We're sitting around the table. We're laughing. We're joking. Goes Madison. Yes, sir, I said. Shame attacking exercise, he said. What, I said? He said, up on the chair and sing us a song. <laughs> up on the chair. I, I am an A student. We need to know this. And I will do most anything for an A. And I got up on the chair at the restaurant and I start singing. 
La donna immobile, quai più malvento, mutada ced. The manager of the Indian restaurant thinks I have lost my mind and runs to the phone to call 911. Dr. Burns, seeing that he has now created an, an issue where I could get arrested, runs over and he and the manager are arguing, but I'm going to sing for my A all the way through the aria. Now, why did he make me do that? Because you say, well, that's not fair. Doc Madison is a professional opera singer. He's sung opera all around the world. Yeah, but I don't usually sing opera in restaurants on a chair. And, and Vicky will back me up on this. I don't even like to practice when Vicky's in the house because I don't want anybody to hear me make a mistake. It's the same fear that people have about sharing the gospel I have about making a mistake when I'm singing. I mean, I'm Doc Madison. I've sung at Carnegie Hall more times than I can count. I've sung with Luciano and with, um, oh, the tall guy, Domingo. I've been in over 70 performances. I don't want to make a mistake. That's where we are, folks. But the only way to overcome that is to do it. To do it. Now, I also want you to know that part of this I blame on my mother. I'm putting back on my pastor's hat, mom, not my psychologist hat. My mom and I had this running gag, Carol will understand, when I was first learning the piano, if I made a mistake, my mom would run out of the kitchen with the wooden spoon and tap me, tap me on the head, right? That was a mistake, son, and she would tap me on the head. Well, what did I not want to have happen? I didn't want the tap on the head. So I, I played the piano like it was hot coals because I was afraid to make a mistake. I feel the same way about singing. So now that we know, I know, that sharing the gospel or singing on a chair in an Indian restaurant is not going to be the end of the world, ruin my life. In fact, when I was done, I got a standing ovation from all the patrons in the restaurant. I want you to hear this, and if you're taking notes, this might be the important part. Our perceived fear is often much greater than our reality. Our fear of what if is much greater than what happens. Now, I want you to hear this. The, the passage that came right before this that Danny didn't read is the famous passage when Jesus goes to Nazareth and all the people are saying, well, who does he think he is? I remember when he went to Nazareth High School and played basketball with my, my son. And they have no faith in him. And it says a prophet is not welcomed in his own country. So Jesus pairs them off by twos. And you need to know that uh, socially speaking in that day, if I were going to send out emissaries, I would send two. And two emissaries in my name were considered to be a representative of me. One was not. Two was necessary. That's why he sent them in twos. He said, you are my emissaries, my representatives. He said, go to a town, and if they don't welcome you, now why would he say that? They're coming into town, they're sharing the good news, the same message that John the Baptist preached, repent and be ready for the kingdom of God. 
They're healing the sick. They're casting out demons. They're doing miracles. Who wouldn't want that in their town? So then I use what my preaching professor called my God-given gift of imagination. What if he sent them to their hometowns? What if he said, well, <laughs> you grew up in Audubon? You go to Audubon. You grew up in Cherry Hill? You go to Cherry Hill. You grew up in Mellica Hill? You grew up in Vineland? You grew what if he sent them to their hometowns? Maybe there was some what-ifs going on. Maybe there was some shaking in the boots. What, what will people say? And then he says, oh, by the way, when you go, don't take any baggage. Don't take extra clothes, no extra cloak, no food, no money. Just you and the message. So there's three points I want to make, and, and then we'll wrap this up. The first one is this. If you're going to share the gospel, and it really should be when you share the gospel, travel light. Don't let all that baggage weigh you down. I mean that figuratively, our emotional baggage. And I mean that actually, our, our, our physical baggage. Do I need another class in how to share the gospel? Do I need another track? What's the best track? Take none of that with you. Take the fact that you know Jesus and you want people around you to know Jesus. Focus on the goal. I, I wish I could put this across churches all across our area because it's a little frightening. I see churches with signs out front that say, um, food distribution Tuesday, free bag of food. You know what it should say? Salvation on Sunday, free eternal life. Right? Thrift store open Tuesdays and Thursdays. Fill a bag for $5. The church is not a food bank. The church is not a concert hall. The church is not a buffet, although we do like to eat. The church is not a thrift store. It's not a daycare. The church is where we come to meet God. Now, can you meet God while you're giving out a food bag? Yes. But the focus needs to be on the gospel and not on the bag of food. I hope you can hear that. I'm not saying we shouldn't do this stuff. I'm saying we're putting the cart before the horse. We're looking for the program rather than the power of the Savior. The third point is this. You got to keep moving. He didn't say, just plop yourselves here and people will come to hear the gospel. They did come to hear Jesus, but they might not have that time come to hear Matthew or James or John. They weren't ready yet. They weren't empowered by the Holy Spirit yet to have people come to hear them. They were going out to share the good news. Why? Because seeds don't plant themselves. Remember the sermon a couple weeks ago on corn on the cob? You can have the catalog, you can have the seeds, but if you don't plant the seeds... No corn on the cob. By the way, today's 4th of July. What's the rule? You can eat corn on the cob. You're guaranteed it's Jersey corn. There you go. We've heard this from me. Fish don't jump into the boat. You roll it out and say, okay, I'm fishing. They don't jump in. You got to go catch the fish. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And hear this. Grapes don't harvest themselves. Somebody's got to go and harvest the grapes. 
And if you've ever watched the harvesting of grapes, they can't do it with the machine that picks the apples or the cherries. You have to gently take the grapes in your hand with this special knife and just flick it off. There's, there's a gentleness and a care to the harvesting of grapes. So what's the worst thing that could happen if you share the gospel? You plant a seed. What's the best thing that could happen if you share the gospel? You could bring a brother or sister to Christ. Amen.